Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Paul Feinbaum here at the Little Rock Touchdown Club, courtesy of our friends at Arkansas Urology, ladies and gentlemen. 2012, that year we had Howard Schnellenberger, Jeff Long, Gus Malzahn, Mike Slive, John Robinson, and John L. Smith speak. Uh, the year before that, or the time before that you came, 2006, Barry Switzer, Ken Hatfield, James Street, Jimmy Sexton, and Pat Dye. So you've been on some uh, some good lineups, and we appreciate you coming back because you, you've had a chance to be at other touchdown clubs around the country, and you said this this has a little bit different feel to it. It does, uh, for a lot of reasons. Lunsford, great to see you. Um, El Paso. <laughs> yeah, Johnny from El Paso. Where are you, Johnny? There he is. <laughs> Afraid to say anything. You're a lot, you're bigger than you were the last time I saw you. Uh, uh, but I, I'll get this out of the way. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of really good clubs in the country, but th- this is now considered the best touchdown club in America. Wow! Wow! Take that! <laughs> and John, John, John's here, and I, I think uh, you know, he's very interested in uh, in what you guys are doing. And uh, I was talking to. Uh, my old friend, Mr. Henry, a minute ago, uh, and you get the credit because David Basil really is the reason why this club is nationally known. And I know, wow. well, it, it, I know you're too humble to say that, but I saw your mother beforehand. And she told me to say, it. <laughs> "Yes, very nice. Yes, that's exactly right." You know, one of the things I've been, one of the things I've been doing is for all of our speakers have been uh, reading books. Oh. So Sully showed the Michigan book, 303 Reasons to Hate Michigan. I hate Michigan, and you should too. Well, what people don't, uh, don't know, and Sully, I don't think Sully knew this, Paul did 54 of those books, or 50 of those books. Did one for Arkansas, did one for every, right? They did 50 of those kind of books. Well, the concept was to play, off, play rivalries off each other, uh, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Florida State. The problem we got to in Arkansas is who's the rival? Is it Texas? Is it Texas A&M? Is it Missouri? Is it LSU? Who is your rival here? That's a good question. Who is the rival? Texas. Well, now that they're coming back in the conference. And, and I, I do want to say this before we start, uh, and I deeply appreciate the, the ovation. I uh, came very close to not making it, and that's not a joke. Uh, I was in Nashville over the weekend. I got back early. Uh, I walked in my house to 315 and my wife who grew up in Alabama is struggling at this point uh, as I as I walked in the den this kid named Auburn of all people had kicked a field goal to beat Alabama for Texas and she was like distraught and and I, I wasn't thinking about Nick Saban I wasn't because I, I don't get hung up on this stuff I was thinking about myself uh, and I thought I'm supposed to be in Little Rock, Monday, uh, would very likely be the greatest day in Feinbaum show history. <laughs> so I, I, I said that, I mean, I'm watching, and finally when, uh, and I'm thinking I need to find a replacement very quickly if I don't, because that's, that's the, the proper thing to do. So I started going through my phone, and I, and I, I, I was texting this guy literally as, uh, as Alabama marched down the field, and so I, I, had, I never had to send Scott Frost a text. Uh, <laughs> He, he will be here soon, I'm sure. I mean, 
What recently fired coach have you not invited? That's the game. And I also want to say one more thing, and, and you know, Baz really thinks this is important to get page views, and, and I, I don't care about that stuff. I mean, I, I have a job. Um, and, uh, and, and my goal is when I walk out of here, whenever that is, is to still have a job. Um, because it's not easy to get these jobs, and just to, you know, Baz said, I'm like, you got to say something crazy. You, you got to go viral. Well, I'm not going viral. Uh, I, I am going has. to behave myself uh, because we have a great sponsor in Simmons Bank. I only bought stock in it 20 years ago um, when they start, when they were on this. I wish you had took, how about a, how about an inside tip lunch for the last time I was here? If yeah, if you'd have been nicer, you would have done that. He said. Anyway, I don't. These are some things I wanted to get off my chest. Now I have. We can get back to the show. You know the uh, the book. You know one of the neat things is is learning a little bit about your history and seeing some pictures. And so there's some great pictures of you when you're a little bit younger. Matt, Matt, can you look at that guy? Look at that guy! Wow! Look at that hair! Look at that tie! Are you a ladies' man back then, Paul? Uh, my wife always says to me, "I've been married 33 years." Uh, she says, "You know, I would not." She's very smart, uh, has a medical degree from Vanderbilt. She said, "I would, I wouldn't have dated you." Uh, if I'd met you in college, I said you wouldn't have had the opportunity. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. I, I wasn't hanging around the library on Friday night. Wow. Um, I, mean, I went to Tennessee. What else was I supposed to do? <laughs> so, uh, so at some, you know, at, at different points over your career, I, I know Arkansas fans have, have not liked you, I've, and there have been times when they really like you. But I know last year. Before the Texas game, SEC Nation was there in Fayetteville, and up on the stage was uh, it was you, the whole SEC Nation crew, and Justin Moore was up there, and you were going to make the prediction. You were going to sort of do a. Well, that's when Justin Moore was only known as a country music star before he went. Yes, to before he radio. became a radio. That's right, before he became a radio man. But you you sort of did the Lee Corso thing. You had a a, a giant uh, Texas guy on the right, mannequin, and you had uh, Razorback on the other side. And let's let's roll tape and see what happens here. They've been calling the hogs. They want to turn that dang What do you got, Paul? What are you going to do, Paul Feinbaum? Oh. Oh, boy. I, I grew oh. up in Memphis loving the hogs. <laughs> Uh-oh. 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 Don't do it. Oh, no. Don't do it. Oh, no. Don't do it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> and... And so now you're like, <laughs> that's Tim Tebow laughing at you. You know, the funny part about that was I, I thought about throwing the mannequin, and then at 138 pounds, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to lift the mannequin. <laughs> um, and I, it wasn't, I know everybody thinks that was an easy prediction. It wasn't. I mean, Texas was supposed to win. Um, and, and the very last second, I grabbed the helmet, and I, of course, some of you have heard me. I, I was having this conversation with Hunter Yurchek the other day. So, the University of Texas is worth, what, about a billion dollars, uh, a couple of billion dollars. They sent ESPN a bill for $375 for that stinking helmet that I threw. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out, I don't know who, may, who, who they're sponsoring, uh, the Under Armour, Nike, but I mean, if you make a helmet that can't withstand someone like me throwing it into the dirt, how is it going to handle somebody like you? <laughs> running into it, but uh, I, I don't know when I've ever gotten more mileage out of anything. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I immediately became best friends with 
Jamie and Sam Pittman, yeah. and uh, and Hunter did offer. He, Hunter wanted me to throw it last week, but it was so chaotic. Uh, we had uh, John John Daly there, and you know the rest. <laughs> it was uh, eleven o'clock in the morning in Fayetteville, and he had not been to bed yet. <laughs> the um, you know, way, uh, Ed Ogeron hasn't either. <laughs> um, you were talking with Matt Berry yesterday, and one of the things you referenced with him, he's an ESPN broadcaster, said that you remember when you interviewed Sam Pittman for the first time, your reaction and what what his perception or what your perception of him was uh, at the time. I, I mean, I knew who he was because he was a great recruiter. Uh, he had come into Alabama a couple of times and gotten big players, uh, and I knew he was the offensive line coach, but I'd never – really seen him before and once I saw his picture I like who in the world how did they hire this guy um, and then I the next day we had him on uh, our show as you saw and I, I kept thinking like what does he remind me of and I, I thought he's the kind of guy that you would see if you were uh, in Stuckart Arkansas at a, at a feed store and he'd be he'd be like you know, <laughs> behind the counter <laughs> yeah. uh, and I have never uh, been more impressed with a coach. Uh, and and I, I ran in, I met, I knew, obviously I got to know Coach Pittman a couple of times, but this year uh, in Destin I met Jamie. And, again, you know, there aren't that many coaches who are in my age group. Now, <laughs> Nick Saban's considerably older. But, uh, and I just could relate to them. Uh, they, they reminded me a little bit of my wife and I, except that, you know, Sam's clocking in about $10 million a year. <laughs> but uh, it was, they, they, I've had a really warm warm spot in my heart for, for Sam. And he's just uh, – you, you folks understand it uh, better than most. I mean, he's, he's a person that represents the state better. I mean, does he represent the state better than – let me think for a second – Chad Morris? Uh, and if I could go off the record, uh, personally, I thought it was one of the biggest clowns I've ever met in my life. Um, off the record, um, who was before him? Oh, I, I, by the way, I like Bielema. I thought he was a fun guy to hang out with, and I got to know both uh, Brett and his wife closed many bars down with both. Um, and then who was before that? John L. Smith. John L. Smith. <laughs> a bigger comedian I've never met. And and then you, and you, I, I, I resent, who was the one, that, was it you that yes. made fun of uh, Bobby Petrino? Yes. Any of you, I just, I don't, I don't want to scare anyone in Fayetteville this weekend, but be careful. I mean, he's a, he's a reformed man, as we all are. So, uh, you know, so, so your point was that you think. So oh, we're back to the question. Yes. <laughs> you put, with, with David Bowser, you really never know. Just uh, you, uh, the point the, was, with all, you were talking about all some of these coaches that are glitzy and all this, yes. is that the fit for Arkansas right now, if you look at the conference, you could make the argument they are the third best team in, in the conference. Well, they're easily the third best team in the conference, and we'll talk a little bit about their, the rest of the season in a minute. But uh, that was the question before the season: who's the third best team? Uh, some people thought it was A&M. I, I'm not here to make fun of Jimbo Fisher. His record does that already. <laughs> 
Well, and speaking of, you know, we'll go ahead and mention, you know, this weekend was, well, there he is right there. That's, I don't know if that's from this game or not, but um, that was a major upset. Obviously, App State there in uh, College Station, again, they were number six in the nation. I, I felt all along that Arkansas should have been ranked higher than them. And, yeah. and so now what for, for Texas A&M? Well, Miami coming in this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Jimbo Fisher is an offensive genius, right? I mean, I, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, he, once again, he's got the wrong quarterback. That quarterback has to go. And I don't know what he will do because uh, you look at the schedule and you know, Miami's a, a serious contender and Arkansas, obviously. And by the way, I've got two tickets to the uh, Alabama-Texas A&M game, if someone would like. Uh, I've got a bid for $20 right now. They that were, was going to be the big they, game. They were $5,000. Um, uh, so there's so many uh, – I mean, I'm not – I never like to rule a, a team out this early in the season, but it's, it's hard to have any faith in them the rest of the year. What do we take away from uh, Bama, Texas? You know, obviously Texas coming into the SEC, uh, Sark in his second year. Uh, Alabama has to have some heroics for Bryce Young at the end to win. I was uh, most impressed with their defense, and I, I really think uh, Gary Patterson's the reason. Uh, He's their analyst, but clearly that there is a Gary Patterson imprint on the Texas defense. I, I think it's a classic case of, of Alabama doing what it has done so many times, David. They did it three times last year. They overlooked Florida, nearly lost, overlooked A&M. Remember, A&M was, had already lost a couple of games, as you well know. Uh, and then they went down to Auburn and took four overtimes. This is I, I don't know what's happening. I mean, I know there's many adages in college football. You can only get up X number of times a year. And I frankly don't think they cared about that game. It was just how, how could you take Texas seriously? Uh, and I mean that uh, from us. From a, and I, I think these are young players. You, you, you guys, under, you understand it better than I do. You're, you're a star. By the way, um, I'm here to supposed to, I'm supposed to try to convince you to go to Arkansas. <laughs> it's Great academics. <laughs> well done. I know, I know that's what your parents care the most about, academics. You'll just meet the bankers here, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. If, if you're, if, by the way, if you're as good as Basil told me, I would like to represent you. <laughs> you know, the other thing that happened, and you were, you were on the show yesterday at 9 o'clock in the morning at Matt Berry's show, before the news of Scott Frost being fired, you had actually called for that to go ahead and happen, yeah. uh, almost breaking the Frank Brule's Jack Crow record of one game. They fired Scott Frost, I guess, after two or three. Yeah, I've gotten to become really good friends with Jack. I knew Jack at, uh, at Auburn when he was Bo Jackson's coach. And I, I once said to Jack, I said, did you know that Bo Jackson could catch footballs? He never threw the bow like the entire uh, four years Bo was there. but. Uh, I think that's what you have to do nowadays. You just don't sit around and let this and prolong the inevitable. Uh, when when it becomes obvious, and yeah, they could have saved fifteen million dollars or whatever, but it, that doesn't matter. I mean, fifteen million dollars in college football nowadays—that's nobody should be retained uh, for that. And it was a stupid decision to bring him back, but uh, nobody ever said Trev Alberts was a smart athletic director. We were talking about. Um... <laughs> Talking about Frank Brules, uh, got a picture of a coach here. Uh, obviously, you grew up in Memphis. Uh, obviously, went to Tennessee. Very familiar with the history of Frank Brules. Just some thoughts on him. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll echo what almost anybody in this room who knew Coach Brules would say, that 
In my youth, he was one of the greatest figures. And as a young person across the Mississippi River watching the, the game in December 1969, I still remember it vividly, uh, I, was a, I was pulling for Arkansas, and it was, it was just something that uh, it was just bitter, bitter to watch. But what I, really what I admired the most about people like Frank Burrells and, and Darrell Royal and people of that era was the, the collegiality. I mean, they were genuine friends, as many of you who knew uh, Coach Burrells. And today it, it's, it's so different. And, and then I, uh, I had the opportunity to, to cover the, the greatest uh, Arkansas of them, them all, Paul Bryant. Uh, I, I'm one of the last remaining uh, people. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to be the youngest covering Coach Bryant, and now I'm one of the last people still around Alabama. Well, you can relate to this. Uh, to uh, to have covered Coach Bryant for a couple of years and to hear the stories about him growing up in Arkansas. Matter of fact, this picture here, Paul is the one in the beard leaning over. It's almost. Um, and that was, I would imagine that was By the way, that young guy on the left is the son of the guy on the right who was my boss. So that's why he was in this picture. So, so this was probably right at the end here. This was uh, the day of his final game in Memphis uh, at the Rivermont Hotel. Uh, he, a group of us, the, the guy next to me, uh, the white-haired guy, uh, he, I was not invited to meet with Coach Bryant, but Bill wanted to stick around and drink with Coach Bryant, so he brought me along to take notes and go, go write the story. <laughs> but, I mean, it was, there was nothing like Paul Bryant. Uh, and I don't want to get too, too deep into the, the comparisons to Nick Saban, <laughs> because this is being disseminated worldwide here. <laughs> and I would like to have Coach Saban speak to me one more time in my life. <laughs> but in many ways, they're really, from a coaching standpoint, there's great comparisons. Uh, and, and, and I, I, was, I was never sure to be able to – I was never comfortable saying that Nick Saban was the, the greatest coach of all time until about two years ago I was talking to Mark Tyson, whose son Paul was a quarterback at Alabama a couple of years ago. He just left. Mark Tyson, for those of you who don't know, not, not part of the, the Tysons in the other end of the state, he was Paul Bryant's grandson. Uh, Mark's mother was Coach Bryant's sister. And he, uh, we were talking one day, and I said, well, your grandfather was such a great coach. He said, you can say it. I said, what do you want me to say? He said, you, you can say Nick Saban's the greatest coach of all time. And I think he is now. But Paul Bryant, to me, was the most uh, important figure I've ever covered in college football. There, there, I, I did an event last December that honored the group of players who broke the color barrier at the University of Alabama, uh, including Sylvester Croom. And I, and I, wa I walked up to uh, one, of their one of Sylvester's teammates, a guy named Johnny Musso, who was uh, one of the most famous players, the Italian Stallion, they called him. And I said, Johnny, I said, uh, I asked him this question. Then I went over to Tony Nathan, who was one of those who broke the color barrier, who another great Alabama player. I said, Tony, I said, I've, I've interviewed probably 200 Alabama players that played for Coach Bryant, and I've asked everyone the same question. How much were you paid? And tell me something negative about Coach Bryant. And he said, I'm not talking to you. I said, Tony, you're 70 years old. You can tell me now. He said, no way. I have never spoken to a former Bryant player, publicly or especially privately, who has to this day said a negative thing about this man. 
they are still scared to death <laughs> that Brian is going to reach out from that grave at Elmwood and squeeze and strangle them. And I, t I told this group that night, so I'll, I'll tell you. I said, I've never, I've never found anybody. I said, I could drive, I was in Birmingham, I could drive 58 miles down the road, and I kid you not, I could find 15 Alabama players on this current team that would probably privately tell me something about Nick Saban that was unflattering. And I don't mean that like he's a bad coach. It just, you know, maybe, maybe he's difficult or who, who knows what. You, could, you, can't, you can't get a, a Bryant player to say anything, David. You know what it's like. You played for a legend. And, uh, well, some semi-legend in, in Lou Holtz. Uh, but it, it's... That, those days are over. You don't, you don't have the Daryl Worlds. You don't have the, the Bob Devaney's and the Tom Osborne's and, and, the, and, the, and the Paul Bryant's. And you just have a bunch of coaches who, let's be honest, are mercenaries. Uh, it's, one of the things great about Paul is that uh, you're talking about Wally. You have a lot of respect for those of you that are in the electronic uh, media business that you, uh, that you also started your career as a print journalist. I mean, and uh, that's where you get your degree in political science. And uh, it's amazing to me, Paul, that you uh, show this picture, number 11, uh, if you could, Matt. So this is the SEC Nation. So what stands out? What looks different to you in this group? Start with the left and then go to the right. Uh, and when I look at that picture, I see a guy who's, uh, you're what, you're what, 65? And you're with a bunch of these young, you know, attractive, you know, former studs, you know, Laura. And there's Paul Feinbaum. Still there, making a difference there on the set of SEC Nation. Something, a testament to your uh, work over the years and how important you are to uh, this business. Well, I think when you look at that group, you, you see a couple of pretty obvious things, but mostly you see Tim Tebow in the middle. Um, <laughs> and I will tell you uh, about T I don't know if you've ever had Tebow here. No, I haven't. Um, getting – we've uh, – Anybody in David's and uh, in, in my, my business have been around celebrity, uh, whether it's country music or acting, but I've never been around anyone quite like Tim Tebow. Uh, I, once, I was with him once in L.A., and I asked him, uh, what does, did he miss the most about, the, about being an athlete? And he told me he missed primarily the idea of... Uh, being able to affect people, and that's why he continues with his ministry. And he told me a story once. I don't know if you remember. I think it was the 2012 Super Bowl. And I, I promise you, I'm not getting political here. I'm just telling you what he told me. He, he and his mother, uh, Pam, did a Super Bowl commercial for, I think it was Focus on the Family. Does anybody remember? Uh, it was a, a pro-life group. And about a year later, Tebow was in Memphis at one of these small mega churches with about 12,000 people. And it's not that un you have any of those here? <laughs> and he was, they were ushering him out. And a lady was screaming at him. And he, he uh, and the, the, the security people kept pushing him. And she kept following him. Finally, he stopped because he knew something was going on. He said, let, let me go talk to her. And Tebow walked over to this woman, and she hugged him, and she said, I want to introduce you to my daughter. And he said, well, it's great to meet you. He said, I, the Super Bowl was on a Sunday night. 
He said, on Monday, I was going to abort, to an abortion clinic and abort this child, and I saw your commercial, and it changed my approach, and now it's the most important thing in my life. And that, that's the kind of thing that Tebow does affect people, whether you agree or disagree with his politics or anybody's politics. And, and he is just so amazing. Couple, about three years ago, we were on the SEC Nation bus, and I was, uh, I'm somewhat oblivious to people around me, because at ESPN, there are a lot of people that you, you kind of become uh, a little bit immune to celebrity or who people are. And there's a, there was a young lady sitting there, and she had a baseball cap on and sunglasses. And I just sat down because I was waiting uh, to get makeup. And <laughs> so I kind of grunted at her. And I mean, I, it's just, I, was a, I didn't know who she was. Didn't really, it, I just figured she was waiting for Tebow to do something. So I walk out. Uh, the bus a couple of minutes later, and I ran into Laura Rutledge. I said, Laura, there's some young lady on the bus. I don't know if she's waiting for you or T-Boat. And Laura, who's really funny, she goes, you don't know who that was? I said, no. Uh, she said, that's Demi. I said, okay. She said, that's Tim's fiance. I said, all I didn't realize, I mean, I kind of knew he had dated somebody. You don't, you, you don't ask Tim Tebow, like, who are you dating, Tim? So I said to Laura, I said, so what does she do? And she looked at me and says, well, she's only the reigning Miss Universe. Uh, <laughs> and then suddenly I had to go back on the bus. <laughs> so they did, uh, so they got married uh, in January of 2020. And they invited uh, my wife and I. Somehow we got invited. I don't, so I'm thinking about going to, it, it, it was not like your typical destination wedding maybe Hot Springs, Arkansas. <laughs> Cape Town, South Africa. Wow. And I started, uh, I mean, I'm just a humble guy from the poor side of Memphis, so I started checking the airlines, and it was like $10,000 a ticket. <laughs> but that wasn't the real reason I didn't go. The real reason I didn't go is I found out three days in Cape Town at this resort, I was going to have to spend three days in Cape Town with Urban Meyer. <laughs> no way. Uh, speaking about celebrity, uh, real quick, Matt, I want to run through a couple pictures. This is the guy. I just, look at this. This is what happens when you go out in the crowd. Just run through these real quick, Matt. Is it is this life-size? I mean, this is before a game somewhere. That's you, of course. Uh, and then in your, you've got dolls. Of, I mean, bobbleheads, dolls. And then you, you've done a great job. But look, oh, this is Stephen A. Smith. I mean, you've become, uh, now that you and Stephen A. Smith go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, it seems like, every week. Stephen A. Smith is my best friend at ESPN. And I am Stephen A. Smith's only friend at ESPN. <laughs> um, I kid you not, he is, I, there's no way I can convince you of this, but so I'll give it a shot. He, he is one of the most interesting people. I, I used to do a couple of days a week in New York, some of you may remember, and he was, uh, he would, he would have lunch every day in his little office and he'd call me in, and I would sit there and listen to Stephen A. Smith, and you would think he was an entry-level employee, because nobody respects me and nobody gives me the, and now he's making $12 million a year. 
Uh, and I'm still, you know, you know, working weekends and, and to try to earn extra money. Uh, it's just, but, yeah, I don't know what to make out of him. He's, I was arguing with him last week about, I mean, he was convinced that Texas was going to put a beat, uh, Alabama was going to put a beat down on Texas and he was calling out, can we, can we ever talk about the University of Texas without mentioning Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> I mean, is he the only is he the only famous person that ever went to the University of Texas? I'm not even sure he went to the University of Texas. But anyway, uh, but so I'm got but Stephen A's give him I mean give him a chance. He's a, he's a, he's an aspiring young guy trying to make it in this world. Now, uh, you know, one of the things you have to do, you talk about being uh, you it is a pretty cool thing the fact that you covered Paul Bear Bryant and you've covered Nick Saban. Uh, <laughs> hardly anybody else can say that. No. So Nick Saban, one of the things you've had to sometimes go toe to toe. Coach Saban, this is a clip. Um, this is before the clip, but uh, this was from, um, I think it was SEC Media Days, yeah. Paul, when oh, yeah. one of his players had, uh, I guess, been pulled over for possession. And uh, watch, uh, watch Paul and Nick Saban go toe-to-toe here. Just about a minute-and-a-half clip or a minute clip. A lot of people, that, that's a very bad look for your program, that you're working out internally but not suspending them publicly for an important game against Southern Cal. How, how do you answer those critics? Well, I don't really care to answer the critics because I'm going to do what's right for the players. Uh, and if the players really did anything that wrong, uh, they would have got charged with something. All right, so well, I mean, I, I, just because I, I, I mean, that's debatable. I thought, that, I thought, that's debatable if you listen to what the district attorney said in his simply yeah, un, the unintelligent uh, didn't, response. Didn't say what all was... Like, there were four people in the car. Why did the two football players get arrested and the other guys get not get arrested? All right, there's no law about concealed rep weapons in Louisiana. Is that right, Marcus? That's You're right. from Louisiana. All right, so why did they search the car just because there was a gun on the seat? Do you seat? think they were persecuting the football players? I, I, I don't. There's just a lot of questions there that are reasons that there weren't charges brought against these guys. Now, we're going to do every... Now, do we condone the behavior? No. I, but you're innocent until proven guilty in this country, regardless of whether you get convicted in the media or not, which is what you're doing to these I'm players. Not, I'm not convicting uh, anyone. I'm just a- asking you why you are not going to suspend Cam Robinson for the Southern Because Southern I'm not going to convict him in the public. And you said that I was going to get criticized by you and the public and the media because I'm not going to suspend him. And I don't really care about that. It's the end of the conversation. <laughs> I, I remember that live. I think I was there uh, around that. So, <laughs> what, what's it like dealing okay, with the well, saving? What happened afterwards? Uh, what you didn't see, I think John saw it. He was right behind it with a camera, or one of his guys. So the the segment ends, and he jumps up, and there's picture. He is cursing and swearing, and just like with his finger. And they finally had to escort him. We, they, so that ends. And a couple of minutes later, about an hour, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, maybe closer to an hour, I'm, I'm walking through to go to the washroom, and he's coming out, and he starts all over again. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. I mean, he's just screaming and hollering and cursing. And finally, I, I, I mean, as this has happened, a couple of minutes later, I started to realize that that was on national television. It's going viral. I'm getting texts from Colin Cowherd and Jim Rome saying, way to stand up to him. Uh, I'm getting criticism from all the local Bama Bubba's. <laughs> so fine. I mean, but I really like, I felt like I had a legitimate question. Uh, and then 
Thirty minutes later, my phone starts ringing, and it's Nick Saban. And I'm saying, screw him. I'm not talking to him. I really, I mean, I, he had, he's, he's, he's now berated me on national television. He's berated me afterwards. He's now berated me coming out of the men's room. What, what in the world, do, what left is there to say? So phone rings a couple of times, and finally my, my uh, producer comes over and says, Saban's trying to get a hold of you. I said, I don't care. Finally, my bosses walk over to me and say, do you realize I mean, you, you have infringed our relationship with Nick Saban? I'm like, at that point, I didn't care to ever hear Nick Saban's name again. So another one came over, a little more senior, and said, it really, I understand he's trying to call you. It really wouldn't be a bad idea if you talked to him, okay? So finally, I take the call. So what's happening is Saban got in his car with his publicity guy and started realizing how crazy the reaction was and how he had acted. So I said, hello. He said, oh, hey, hey, Paul. I said, Coach, he goes, do you think, what would you have done? What would you have done? Most people would have said, listen, I didn't mean to like, attack you three times. Saban's reaction was, uh, listen, buddy, uh, I hope you're not, uh, I hope you don't think I'm mad at you. <laughs> now, John over here is laughing because he just got through doing a book about how brilliant Nick Saban is. He refused to admit that he'd done anything wrong, and at this point, I really, it was kind of time to end it, because every Alabama fan thought I had just, you know, violated the, the you know, the seven deadly sins. So it, it, and I saw him the next week. A couple of months later, I'm at a restaurant, and his wife comes up to me, Terry Saban, Miss Terry, I'm sorry, Miss Terry, and she says, you don't realize how good that was for you and how good it was for Nick. Nick got to stand up for his players, and that's really what he's about. He had, he had two guys that probably should have been arrested, but the fact that he stood up for him means the next person, not you, of course, over here. Um, <laughs> and it was the most, it was bizarre. So after that, the, the, the interest in challenging Nick Saban has somewhat waned. Um, to wrap things up here, you know, may, many may not know, but your grandparents, um, I believe, came through Ellis Island, uh, and uh, your, your parents ended up moving to Memphis, where you were born and raised, and you're a Southerner. Uh, I think at one time you wanted to maybe work for a, you know, one of the newspapers in New York or uh, Washington, D.C., or, uh, and for whatever reason, things happened where it, that didn't work out. You lost your father at 15, which is a really tough deal, and you know, just reflecting on your career, it's pretty darn amazing, Paul, from where you started to where you are today. Well, this is where you're supposed to be very humble. Uh, <laughs> I, it, it's, a, it's an amazing career in the sense that I, I really grew up wanting to be a lawyer. And as I, as I reflect back on my life, I, I thought, I think that what, what failed me to really pursuing that goal was that I have too much integrity. Um, uh, <laughs> are you a lawyer? What, what type of lawyer are you? Are you a defense lawyer? Good. Because I've, I've had enough of plaintiff lawyers in my life. Uh, I think they all should be shot. Um, I'm, 
But, I mean, it's been a, I, I really don't know how to just to answer that because uh, very little in my career has been planned or, or predicted, but uh, I, I do feel very fortunate and blessed to have, number one, uh, married a wonderful person who, who has stuck with me for 33 years. I think she has been really the, the key ingredient to, to everything I've done. And, and I, I, I cringe when I go back and, and look at some of the things that I used to write. I, I, I used to be a writer, uh, and, and, you know, Wally can relate to this. Back in the day, uh, there really wasn't this line, there, there was just no line of demarcation. I mean, you just, I was the first person in Alabama to, speak the truth. Uh, I had a friend of Coach Bryant's once came up to me, and, and I was really, I was 30 years old and very full of myself, I might add. And I said to him, I said, uh, his name was John Forney. He was the broadcaster for the University of Alabama. I said, John, what do you think, uh, what do you think Coach Bryant would have done with somebody like me? He said, oh, Paul, that had been simple. He said, you'd have been at the bottom of the uh, Tuscaloosa River. Uh, and I just think that I'm, I feel most fortunate, David, to have covered that part of uh, that era of football. And, I, and I'm, I'm not here to uh, besmirch what is happening today. Uh, but I was in Birmingham about uh, three months ago speaking to what's called the Red Elephant Club. <laughs> and I, I saw a member in the audience, and I said to him, I said, 40 years ago, I was, you were on a, a list of people that I was investigating for buying players to go to the University of Alabama, and how you're you're doing it legally? I mean, I've never seen a transformation. Uh, uh, and according to Coach Saban, they're not doing enough. 